Welcome to the Academy of Esports podcast. I am your host, James O'Hagan, and this week I have Dr. Crystal Lee Malone. She is a professor at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Dr. Malone, thank you for being a guest on the Academy of Esports podcast today. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And, and just before we get into the meat of our discussion here, we always want to make sure that we have some questions that kind of introduce uh, the person because we want to get to know the person too, not just the amazing content that they and things that they care to share. So to kick off our conversation here, first off, what is a game? And it could be a video game or it could be a board game or anything. What is a game that stands out as having been important to you at some point in your life? I'm so glad you finished that question because you paused after the word game and I thought you wanted a definition for games. Oh. Um, um, yeah, so um, for me, it's World of Warcraft. Um, it was, so it's, that was not the first game I ever played. I played some of the older Mario Brothers. Um, like that was kind of uh, what I came up on. Um, but World of Warcraft was the first time where I did a deep dive into an MMORPG and it was the... It was where I really came to learn how much of my anthropology and love of video games could come together and really be the same thing. Mm -hmm. And this could be eccentric or it could be quite traditional. What's a superpower that you have or maybe something that you do better than other people? It seems to be thinking out of the box. Hmm. Um, and I, th and I actually think this, I've traveled a lot and I wonder if maybe that's where it comes from, but I tend to, even at like with work with friends or whatever, I tend to be the person where if somebody's stuck on something, I can walk up and I will say the thing that once I say it is super obvious, but that nobody was thinking of before. And did you, to kind of go back to your World of Warcraft experience, I mean, we've got a lot of people who listen here who have played quite a bit of World of Warcraft, and it mm -hmm. seems like a lot of my guests who I asked their, that question will also say World of Warcraft. Did you find that there were any um, ways that you could bring that superpower into World of Warcraft in that community? Or did you, or was it strictly more for gameplay? No, so I would actually say it was both. Um, I don't do this anymore, but when I first started playing WoW, I was running with some of the high-end raiding guilds. And so that superpower definitely came into my play when we were in dungeons that hadn't been figured out yet. Um, because that's the point, right? Where it's all just puzzles that you have to figure out, you know, where do you stand? Where do you hit? Where's the weak point? All of these things. Or, see, and, and that's, you know, a lot of people go, well, what's the purpose of games and gaming? And it's like, well, it's not just playing. And we're going to get into that in just a second, because you have a really good point about your uh, anthropology background and, and why it's so valuable in gaming. But before we get to that, a couple other questions. Wait for the dramatic pause, please. <laughs> uh, name one song that whenever it hits your speakers, you're going to sing to. Um, so there's actually a lot, Good. but, but I think the one that will like always, like, even if there are people around, I will probably sing it is we will rock you by queen. Nice. That's a I solid that choice. It's, it's got a lot of energy, right? Like that is a song that if I start singing it, I'm like, okay, I can, I can do anything. We are here. Makes me feel like Superwoman. I do a lot of karaoke, and, and when that's the shameful thing about karaoke is there are these people who will try to sing Freddie Mercury, and I'm like, ooh, 
That's that's one of those things where he has such an amazing range too. It's it's one of those ones you'll sing in your car and sing it totally bad. But yeah, I get exactly what you're saying about, you know, the energy that a Queen song can bring. So many of them too. Oh yeah, totally great. Now I don't do it well. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a singing voice. I just enjoy it. <laughs> I, I get that completely. I get that completely. Now, this will lead into our conversation too about the work that you're doing. But what is one thing in your field that surprises people and when they first hear about it? And I think, again, this goes into you're not a computer scientist. You're not a no. game designer, per se, in the traditional sense. You're an anthropologist. Yeah. Um, and that right there is the is the big surprise. So if somebody know if someone is introduced to me as an anthropologist it surprises them that i do games and if someone is introduced to me as a game scholar it surprises them that my degree is in anthropology mm -hmm. um and you're right like i i am not a computer scientist i actually just started teaching myself how to code this last year um so i don't even know how to code um and i was not trained as a designer i really fell into it um, I was hired, so while I was an anthropologist, I got hired as a um, consultant. Mm -hmm. um, Wait, before you, before you dive too far into that, there are some sure, people who sure. may hear anthropology and they hear archaeology. Again, oh. <laughs> so let's define what anthropology is for, for people just to make sure that they're on the same page here. I, you know what, I should know better. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, people always ask me about digs and I've never done that. So um, it, they're related. So I do cultural anthropology, which means that I study people who are alive today. Um, that's that's really it. I cultural, I mean, we could go into details about like cultural systems, how people behave in societies, but it really comes down to, I study people when they're in groups. Well, I would say that the gaming world probably then offers a very unique uh, anthropological study, correct? Yes, exactly. And you make a really good point, too, um, in some of the pre-interview work. Uh, you say people play games without the people. The games are meaningless. That is a really interesting statement. I don't think there's a lot of people, especially when we're talking to developers who are just who think that their technology is the best thing. Um, but again, the, the thing that some of them struggle with, not so much the AAA, you know, big companies, but the smaller ones, the independents who have put together some amazing games. One of my favorite is Hades uh, by Supergiant Games. Uh, but, you know, that's a pretty powerful statement in, in that sense. I, you know, it is. And I've, I've had a couple of people try to push back on this, um, but I stand by it, um, you know. And um, what you're talking about with like the way developers view things sometimes. So when I was working as a consultant and later a designer, I would get that sometimes where a developer or programmer that I was working with would tell me, well, this works perfectly, it's not broken. And I'm like, sure, but if people aren't gonna use it or if they're not going, or if it's not going to work for them, then it doesn't matter if it technically works, right? Because we build games for people and for people to play. And I don't think that that meaning comes from it has to be AAA and you have to have millions of people playing it. If you have a small indie game that means something to the designer who made it, even if there's a handful of people, I still think that's important, right? Like I hear people say this about teachers, right? Like if you reach one kid, then your job has been worth it. And I would say the same for games, but, but there still has to be that person there, that person who is playing regardless of the quantity. And, and, and when you said that, the, 
uh, my immediate thought was to my friends, Carrie Linden and Grace Collins at Snowbright Studios. They're developing a game that is actually involving tea. So different types of of teas. And it's like a tea party, but it's like a game around a tea party. And it was a Kickstarter. And I know that they've made all their money to do it, to get it going. But it was such an interesting concept, again, because everybody thinks that games need to be in one form or another. But as we're finding that games are starting to not just be social as obviously in online places and they have been social and physical spaces for forever, but now there's a melding of the physical and the online spaces that are kind of coming together in really different ways right now. Are you seeing that too? Oh, I am. And I'm loving it because there's so many new and interesting things that are coming out. I hadn't heard about this tea party game, but I'm definitely looking up now. Um, you know, I think the obvious one is we have all of these fitness games. And I think that that was a good um, like icebreaker for the industry to bring um, the physical and digital world together. Um, but now, yeah, people are playing with it in all sorts of ways. And actually what you just said is why I had that brief heart attack when I thought you were going to ask me to define a game, because I think we're really pushing the boundaries of what a game is right now. And so it's becoming harder and harder to define, which isn't a bad thing because we are coming up with like so many fascinating new um, like programs and systems to to play with well and 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 the education side because i work in the k-12 field we're bringing a lot of what were traditionally not seen as educational games and and really there's nothing that is more disappointing i guess again games can be great in many forms but you tell a child this is an educational game and they'll go you know they'll roll their eyes or or like seriously you're going to make me do this Versus, hey, let's bring in a game like Civ Six into and have a discussion around social studies and around uh, interpersonal connections of cultures and how they push against each other and they grow. And it's a battle of resources. These people have this resource. I don't have this resource. Um, that is, I think, where we're starting to see, as you're saying, this very blurring of the lines, if you will, with uh, gaming and gaming culture. Yeah, it really is. And so Civ Sex is a game that I also use. I teach a class on video games and learning. Um, I also use Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed franchise has a lot of really um, great uh, things you can do with that. In fact, two days ago, I was talking to a professor who teaches in medieval studies, and he's using Assassin's Creed Valhalla to teach a class on Vikings this semester. Um, I, I actually downloaded that. There's only one reason I downloaded that game and bought it for the DLC content of Ireland, because supposedly <laughs> what they I haven't gotten to it yet, unfortunately, but supposedly the the Irish uh, government or somebody in Ireland was actually involved because the Assassin's Creed people, I mean, even with the destruction that happened at the Notre Dame, they took the most accurate rendering of that church before the fire. And now they're using their research and their scans and everything to help rebuild that church. I mean, yep. that's just amazing stuff. I know, isn't it? I, I cover the Notre Dame thing um, the semester that it happened because I was in because that was in the middle of a semester. And so I, I took out my other lesson. And I'm like, OK, instead, we're talking about Notre Dame today. And, and I did do a previous interview, too, with another professor who is who this semester is now teaching using Red Dead Redemption 2 as a right. uh, to explore the the uh, relationships, again, of race, of people, of, you know, mountain folk versus city folk and, and all these different things taking place as well. The, the Pinkertons and um, even 
looking at nature because uh, Rockstar did a really good job of developing, hey, we're not just going to put birds here We're gonna with a generic sound. We're going to use birds in their actual bird songs. We're going to use actual animals and the, and the variety of animals that they would have seen in these areas of, of the United States. But let me ask you this. We, we have all these great things right now. It's like nobody's happy. Um, <laughs> all these great things and nobody's happy. What's a challenge, though? What's a big challenge that you see right now, whether it's in esports or gaming? But what's something that we're we're really seeing right now, potentially that that you 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 see crop up now and then? Um, so I think that there's still a challenge within the the community and the idea around games, right? So we have. Um, you know, a couple of lawsuits around companies that are in the news right now that I don't want to name and bring attention to. Um, and we have like doxing and swatting issues within the community. Um, and I, I think that I actually think that the biggest problem with these is that they get so much attention because that's not the majority of the community. Right, like I've been doing games for years, both in industry and in academia and just as a player. And of course I've seen toxicity in that time, but I get so sensationalized in the media that too many people, I think at the idea of like, oh, this is just toxic. Mm -hmm. And then that has an effect on how parents look at it. So I've had K-12 teachers or parents of, you know, kids who are in the K-12 range. And they'll ask me like, oh, well, how do I talk to my kids about games or which games are good for them? Or, you know, they ask me these questions because there's so much fear. And my response is always, well, you know, different games are appropriate at different ages. And that's information you can find, I said. And also, you know, there's safety in being online, just like there is within a game community. Um, and, you know, and these are conversations to have with your children, um, but it's not the community. I just don't find it to be quite as scary as, say, the nightly news tends to make it seem. Well, and there was a Anti-Defamation League did a report on the gaming community. And one of the things I always find interesting about that is it was somewhere in the 70 percent. I forget the exact number, but they said 70 somewhere percent of kids or people who engage in gaming have had have been harassed in some way, which if you just take that statistic and leave it by itself, it's gross. However, they follow up with and I believe this number is right. 88 percent of people also in the same people in the gaming space have had positive experience, have had positive social experiences. So just like, you know, we, I would be very curious to see as we walk down the street or live our daily lives, how many people harass us or create un, things where we feel very unsafe. But that's not the majority of life. Most of our experiences are either mundane or very positive. Right. And that's just it. Right. Like it's, this is not something that is unique to games and it's not indicative of games. Right. Like I, I have been harassed in game spaces. Sure. But it's not the majority of the time. You know what? I've also been harassed walking down the street in a bar. I've been you know, bullied in school as a child. It, like I've had all those experiences, but none of them are, again, the majority of the time. Right. These are all fairly isolated things um and sure there are some systemic issues but again it's not it's not the doom and gloom and danger 
that it sometimes gets portrayed as in that then detracts from all the educational possibilities, right? Like if you try to use, so I have had this happen a couple of times where I've worked with the K-12 teacher, we've gotten something set up and then there's a backlash of parents saying, no, I don't want my kid using Minecraft during school. And I'm like, of all the games, like Minecraft is very vanilla. It's like we're talking about, you know, Witcher 3, which I love, but I wouldn't bring into a middle school because as an adult, I think it's good for me, not necessarily yeah. for a 10 year old. Right? right. But just because of the idea of like, oh, video game dangerous. Well, but how do we tackle that challenge? I mean, let's not I'm not trying to diminish and I don't think you are either trying to diminish the feelings that some of these people have about their experiences in game game spaces. Like you said, you've been harassed. I've been harassed in some of these. I hate it when I play a 12 year old in something and it just kicks my butt and they're cursing me out and using all kinds of foul language. Yeah. But um, how do we then address that with a parent who does come and say, well, I don't want my kid playing Minecraft because I don't see the value. You're taking away from, gosh, reading that social studies book or reading that math book or whatever. Well, I think there's a lot of things we can do, right? So I think that sometimes people have an idea, like a parent will have an idea of a video game and it will be, you know, Red Dead Redemption or, or Witcher 3 or something like that. Um, you know, and if we're talking about younger children, you know, show them games that are appropriate to the age group we're talking about. I think that alone goes a long way. Um, I think the other thing we can do is I think that um, within the community, at large, both players, industry, everybody, um, I think we can do more to make sure that this toxicity is actually addressed and that we don't just leave it there, right? So um, in a lot of spaces, the fact of the matter is, is that if somebody is bullying somebody and they're not very high in the hierarchy, if they're not a very good player or whatnot, they might get banned, but as soon as you have somebody who's more famous or who is say a streamer with followers who is bringing in money, you know, considered more important, we let them get away with a lot of things, or maybe mm. there's a slap on the wrist and then they're brought back, right? But if within the community, we make these things not acceptable and we make them publicly not acceptable, then that will show what the community can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know that sometimes these companies, too, will let's take uh, there was a famous streamer who was banned by Twitch, but no reason was ever given publicly, either by the streamer or by the company. But does that start to does that actually reduce toxicity? I mean, how how can we effectively other than giving a slap on the wrist or, or leading by example? Is that really the best way to start to reduce toxicity or, or how do you see some ways as an anthropologist, again, not as a gaming company? Not as a technical yeah. answer, but as you said, you study groups of people. Yes. How do we then start to make those changes? So the answer to that, unfortunately, is that there's not one answer. What you have to do is you have to come at it from a lot of different sides. Um, and so one would be the the banning in the public. Like if somebody gets banned for something, then publicly let us know what they did. Right. Um, and, but the other thing, um, and that and I do this in my discords and my channels, just as another example is, if somebody does a humble brag about something that is unhealthy, I don't allow it. Now this is very small, but I'm talking- A humble brag meaning example being something like? So like if somebody goes, 
oh, I'm so tough because I just pulled an all-nighter to finish that paper that's due in the morning. Then and, and I and I don't like yell at the person, but I will say something like, you know, we we don't valorize that behavior here um, because that's unhealthy. Mm. Um, and so and and that's um, I mean, like I said, it's a fairly mundane example. But again, it's it's the whole culture. Right. So if we have healthy patterns, even in small things that then also goes to the larger things, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you just, you have to work to create the positive space, um, as well as then also coming down on the negative. Well, and that's interesting too, because I know there's a lot of schools, teachers who struggle with the idea of discord because it's so hard to control and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of it comes into setup and, and part of it is having community guidelines and having rules. But also the way that we have ours set up in our in my school district and with my program is that it, I say it, it, this is a teaching space. We do have our any keys, um, you know, code of conduct and all that. And I have a bot that replays that every day so that they know there's a reminder. But, mm-hmm. you know, there, I think there's some people who are very quick to ban rather than let's say, as you said, let's address the subtle, uh, as you say, humble brag, which is, again, it, it, it can start to create a very toxic environment if unchecked and, and it grows upon itself. Other people start saying, well, if that's acceptable, then I'll just do that, too. And you're right. It's unhealthy. So is your when you talk about your discord servers that you run, do you see them as teaching spaces or do you see them more as social or both or? So I run um, a handful, actually, and so I have both. So I, I stream on Twitch occasionally, um, and so I have a Discord with that. Um, but even on that, even though I don't really consider that a teaching Discord, um, and this actually came up this morning, which is why I was thinking about it. Somebody did a humble brag, and I just said, hey, we don't do that in the pillow fort, and that was it, right? I didn't The pillow fort hold up. <laughs> you call, is the name of your Discord the pillow fort? Yeah, it is. That is awesome. I <laughs> love you. that. Oh, so I call my Twitch channel the Pajama Party. Um, and so the Discord is the pillow for it. <laughs> that, um, that, that, I love the branding. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. It started during the pandemic when I didn't feel like getting dressed. So I stream <laughs> exclusively in my pajamas in the that, morning. That is fantastic. I, I love that. Now... <laughs> I almost can't get past that right now. I want to find out more, but to, to, to move us along, gosh, I'm just going to, I'm going to have to check this out. But again, we, we bring up to around not just toxicity, but also one of the real issues we have in gaming, in esports, in online environments is not just the toxicity towards other groups, but also the lack of diversity that we see where, you know, again, a lot of our esports teams that you'll see at the collegiate level, especially are heavily male uh, I'm proud to say that in, and this is going to sound terrible when I say it, but I'm proud to say in Racine, about 10% of our gamers are girls and, or, or those who identify as, uh, self-identify else. Um, I, I'm sorry to say that that's 10%, but how do we start to shift that status quo? I mean, how do we, other than someone like yourself, who is, who is a, a someone out there gaming who is not male, how do you then uh, promote better DEI within in the, in the space. 
Um, so this is actually a fascinating phenomenon to me because if you look at the people who play games, it is very diverse. Um, in fact, there have been several studies across um, the UK, Australia, and the US, and I'm sorry, but I read English, so those are the spots I know, um, that show that more than 50% of the people who self-identify as gamers are women. So that means for women, it's over half, but we don't see them, right? Um, and people of color also make up a much larger amount of gamers than what we see publicly. So what we have is this issue of um, women and people of color play privately, where white men are more likely to play publicly. Mm -hmm. um, and that, anthropologically speaking, is a very loaded topic about the difference between public and private and where people feel comfortable or not comfortable. And so when it comes to this, I think that um, for a long time, women and people of color looked at public gaming spaces and they looked largely male and largely white. And so there was kind of this subconscious idea of like, okay, well, this space is not for me. So I'll play these games that I like over here with mm -hmm. people who look like me with an affinity group um, and in a place that felt more welcoming. So I really think that this just comes down to showing people that it's not just men. Because mm -hmm. even most women gamers, like when I have women in my classes, they'll, they will tell me that they are the minority. And I'm like, no, actually you're not. Mm -hmm. That's really surprising. Mm -hmm. It surprises everybody. But again, that's because of the public private. So we, we just need to bring these gamers to the public to show them. And that's actually one of the reasons why, like, I love doing podcasts and talk talks just because I know that as a woman, here's a public face and I play these like it's, and it's not just my job. Right. I am also a gamer and I also play games for fun. And so I, I like to I, I hope at least that when I do public appearances, that that's a little bit of working toward having more equity in the public space. And and I think, too, because the, the research I go back to, I always point to when people ask me about, you know, what are the demographics? Ninety seven percent of boys, teenage boys, 83 percent of teenage girls across demographics, according to Pew Research, are playing video games in the United States. Mm -hmm. And I say to people, imagine what schools would look like if 97 percent of boys and 83 percent of girls were into basketball or ballet or art or music. Our schools would look so different. But again, there's this stigma that we still face from, you know, the the idea that gaming creates violent kids that, you know, but again, a lot of us have grown up with violent movies, read violent books in our schools, um, talked about, you know, wars. And it, and again, it's so hard. I think it's just the, you know, the research has been, well, can we find out what this is? And, and again, the research, as long as it's honest and open and transparent is not showing that. That's right. And in fact, the, there's a lot of research that's been coming out, especially in the last five years, showing on what good games can do in schools. And some of that is very direct educational stuff like Minecraft has a whole um, uh, educational version. Um, the Assassin's Creed, uh, I can't remember the name now, but they, they did a like walking tour historical um, standalone um, edition. Um, that it, that was made to be educational, but also there's been some research that shows that if you have a gaming club or an esports club or some 
area where students can, in a school, play games together, that students who are shy, who have um, verbal issues or trouble communicating, can will start to actually open it up and it can help them in school because it's a space that they know a thing and so they feel that confidence and so they can practice certain communication skills here and then like over time this isn't an overnight thing over time that gets transferred to the classroom my my friend uh, angeli giannis who teaches it uh, uh down in uh, san diego she actually used among us in her english class as a way to promote uh, uh, persuasive speaking. She actually, nice. and we were, and so I said, that's a great idea. So we mm-hmm. brought that to our elementary virtual program last year here in Racine. And we had students grades K through eight playing among us together uh, with some issues such as autism as being one of the main ones. And it was amazing to see some of these nonverbal communicators when playing the game and called out as being the one who is the imposter defending themselves or calling out somebody else and across ages too. So it wasn't just their peers that they would normally have in a classroom, but again, a a, a fifth grader telling an eighth grader and defending themselves is in a verbal way, not having to physically do it is, is amazing to see because I've seen it firsthand what you just described. It's powerful. It is. It really is. I mean, that's just it. Games are actually such powerful learning tools and we are just now starting to tap into this, but there is so much potential here. Well, Dr. Malone, this has been so fascinating of a conversation. It is it is a tight 30 minutes of, of just fantastic information. But before we get to the end, um, as part of making experiences for young people better through collaboration, is there an organization or person doing great things in in your field that you'd like to give a shout out to or draw attention to? Um, so there are several and I think I gave you an answer and I don't remember what I wrote right now. Oh, I'll but... tell you who it was. Um, I'll tell you exactly. Uh, you said uh, charity that works toward fighting teen violence. It's uh, Jenny Ferran. Um, yeah, um, it, it, the Jennifer Ann group, right? Thank you. Um, so I, I, so they're doing a game competition right now. I'm going to be one of the judges on the panel. Um, so yeah, this is about domestic violence with teens, and each year they do a game jam um, that focuses on a different issue, um, like gaslighting, abuse control, these types of things. Um, and this year the theme is power and control, hmm. um, and it's still open. Um, it's open. Uh, uh, for about five more days. I'm not sure when you're going to put this out, but September 26th is the last day to submit pitches for um, the competition. Very cool. Very cool. And before we sign off, uh, any final thoughts or things that you would like to promote? Uh, I'm sure your class is probably full this semester. So. <laughs> um, yes, it is. Um, I, I, I would say that there's a couple of things. Um, one would be MK Esports. Uh, I... Um, as you know, um, Milwaukee Esports Alliance, right? I'm newly a board member there and we have some great things that we are working on. Um, and then also, uh, UW Madison has a game design certificate for undergraduates. Um, we are, uh, I hope I can say this soon going to have a master's program. Um, Mm. it's not up yet. So I really hope I didn't speak out of turn too early. (laughs) 
Well, if you need me to edit this part, there will all of a sudden just be this weird gap. And I'll say, and now we're back from the weird <laughs> editing that you all may have noticed. No. Uh, anything else you'd like to promote real quick, Dr. Malone? Um, What's your stream? Oh, my stream. Um, so my stream is twitch.tv slash gamer anthro. So it's the same as my Twitter tag that you have up there. Perfect. Um, perfect. Dr. Malone, again, this has been absolutely fantastic. Again, very full information, a lot to digest. I hope that someday we can have you back soon to further this conversation because this has been so good. Dr. Malone, thank you so much for giving up your time and being a guest on the Academy of Esports podcast. Thank you. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash taoesports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.